Do you remember that chap who skydived from the edge of space? Felix Baumgartner jumped from 24 miles up and reached a speed of over 800 miles an hour. And if you wonder what happens to your heart rate all the while, today's guest was on the stunt team. Based in Cambridge, UK, his company are experts at handling data from sensors. So we went to see them to find out what else they do. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. I met up with the company that make the Equivital Life Monitor. It's the device that tracked Felix Baumgartner's health during his skydive from space. I met their CEO, Anmol Sood, at their headquarters just north of Cambridge. Let's listen. Where, where am I? The company name is Hidalgo, but uh, the product name that we're commercialising and that I think was most closely associated with uh, Felix Baumgartner's jump was Equivital. And what does Equivital do? Equivital is a mobile human monitoring system. So it's taking real data real, from real people in real environments. And it gives you the ability to collect multiple parameters from the human body and contextualize all those multiple parameters to give you some intelligent data, whether that be raw data or whether that be a derived measure from that data. So at its rawest form, the Equivital system will output two leads of ECG, uh, heart rate, heart rate variability, breathing rate and breathing effort, skin temperature, body position, um, speed, distance, sleep quality, and a stress level. From that raw data, you can then start deriving much more intelligent measures like fitness indexes, like stress indexes, like biometric identification, or many other indexes or measures that you can, you can get from that. So who would be perhaps a customer for this kind of equipment? Realistically, and, and you know, I, I say this very broadly, any human being who has physiology is a customer because it's very, very important for all of us to have more information and more knowledge about how we are performing or how we are able to perform in, in different scenarios. At the moment, our biggest customer base is the military. And our systems are being used mostly in military training to track and predict performance, welfare, location and well-being of military soldiers during training. Other markets that we do currently sell to would be research or sports training. We work in the pharmaceutical sector. We work with loan workers or workers in hazardous areas. And we are now slowly moving to more commercially orientated marketplaces as well. Okay, commercial meaning not quite consumer yet? Not quite consumer yet, no, that, that is in our roadmap, but it's, it's for people who will be using these in a professional setting, but actually they can also use the systems, the data, the applications, and the intelligence that we're able to derive in their day-to-day environments as well. So whether that be during their own personal fitness training or whether that be through monitoring themselves in different scenarios when they're not in their workplace, for example, in a, in a, on an oil rig or in, as a military training soldier. Well, you mentioned a whole bunch of sensors there. I would imagine that is a whole massive suitcase of stuff to carry around. That was one of the biggest problems we had to overcome initially. We wanted this system to be as unobtrusive as possible because there's no point trying to monitor or predict how someone is doing by being so obtrusive that they can't go about their real-life living. So what we have is we have a simple 38-gram sensor and a chest belt, a chest harness, 
That together is called the EQO2 Life Monitor. That in itself is as unobtrusive as as a vest. Because of that, we do not restrict an individual from going about their day-to-day activities as they normally would. So GPS is actually being derived from the phone at the moment, but that will be integrated. You can look at this as being like a mobile phone for healthcare. It gives you a complete or a a very, very detailed synopsis of how an individual is performing or being monitored. And then you can actually look at that data in real time. And one of the key to the business and the system was actually saying, we want to be able to get this data to wherever it's most valuable. Now, that's not always in the vicinity of where the person actually is who's being monitored. So the communications element of what we do was very, very important. And the problem with communications is things can, data can get distorted when they're being communicated. So actually having very little latency and having accurate data, first of all being detected or analysed from, from the human itself, and then actually being transmitted to wherever it needed to get to was one of the big challenges we had to overcome. For example, now we have systems where the subject who is actually being monitored could be in a completely different country to actually where the analysis is taking place. And that data is being transmitted at that exact moment in time to be able to be viewed and analysed, and then some kind of action can be taken. I'm looking at what looks like a, a chest belt. It's in a, it's in a pink, which won't suit me. <laughs> There's a, a gizmo in that, and that is collecting data. Yeah. Okay. Now, somehow you've got to transfer that information to me and I'm miles away yeah absolutely pink is one version we have uh, we obviously have a multitude of different versions of our of our chest belt and but yes the, the communications is, is a big part of what we do and uh, the the system itself has internal class one bluetooth at the moment I can transmit that data up to 100 meters which is the limitations of bluetooth So if I'm monitoring or wanting to view this data locally, I can actually have a laptop or a PC set up in in the vicinity of the person wearing our system. And the user of that PC or laptop can actually view the data in real time there via Bluetooth. Now, what Bluetooth also gives us the ability to do is interact and coexist with relay devices. So in the example of military training, what we can do is we can Bluetooth our data to a tactical military radio, and we can actually send the data over the military network to wherever it needs to get to. The third way we can do it at the moment is by Bluetoothing our data to a mobile phone, and via GPRS, we can then send the data to internet-based servers. So you can log on to a authorized or predefined website and actually view the data anywhere in the world on the internet in real time and that's a massively important part of what we do using bluetooth at the moment as we are it can extend to a a much wider variety of communications methodologies by using relay devices now we're, we're already prototyping for example having integrated gsm within our system and that would give the ability to say i don't need a mobile phone now to send the data to an internet server i can actually send it directly there we've got wi-fi deployments at the moment so you can use a bluetooth to wi-fi converter or we have developments underway where we have internal wi-fi and then you know everyone's talking about different methodologies you know you mentioned previously ant and ant plus protocol which is probably being trumped by low energy bluetooth which is something on our roadmap zigbee has always been talked about so there's, there's various methodologies we can use let's come now to this the big jump by felix baumgartner first of all he jumped from a huge height Absolutely. so how on earth did any signal get down here so we gave the red bull stratus team the ability to view the data in real time obviously when he was jumping we didn't have communications technologies 
uh, on his spacesuit. So the only time that data couldn't be viewed in real time was when he was jumping. But when he was going into his capsule, when he was actually ascending, and prior to the jump itself, exactly, you know, when he was on the, the skateboard-looking device yeah. looking down on the world that was probably the, one of the most scariest sights for everyone who was watching it, the ability to monitor him in real time and view his data in real time was there. It was actually working from a SATCOM system that the Red Bull capsule had. What we actually did was we made sure that the data could be viewed in real time when he was going to the capsule, when he was ascending, and then when he was close enough to the ground to be in range of the communications that they had on, on the ground, that was where the data could be viewed. Apart from when it was being viewed in real time, all of his data was logged. So the data w when he was first taking off, the data when he was just about to jump, the data when he went through that you know, horrendous spin, the data when he was just about to land, all of that data has been collected, it's been logged. We have an internal 8-gig SD card in our system, so you can actually log huge amounts of data and view them retrospectively on one of our viewing applications. As a business, we're a data-centric company that uses hardware and software applications as a platform to provide valuable data to wherever it's most needed. We always talk about actionable information. Now, what actionable information in, in this context means is that if I'm providing someone with some data, they should be able to take an action when they're looking at that data or viewing that data that can change a certain event or a certain scenario. And that's really where we focus. There's a lot of people out there who say that I can give out this type of data or that type of data, whether it's human physiology, whether it's weather data, whatever it may be. But actually, what is the point of that data? What can we do with it? And, and that's really where we come into it. So we have our own proprietary algorithms that we've developed, and, and those algorithms give us the ability to both take the raw electrical signals from the body and convert those into raw measures like ECG waveforms, like heart rate, like respiration waveforms, or whatever you may have. But then we have more derived algorithms as well. So what they will do is, and, and we, talk, we use this word contextualization of data. Okay. So there's two types of contextualization of data. The first type is to say that I have X amount of different raw parameters that I'm measuring. Now, if I take one of those in isolation, it doesn't give me enough information about performance, about well-being, about health, about whatever you're, you're looking at at that particular time to make any sound decision. So if I said my heart rate was at 120 beats per minute, that tells you nothing because you don't know what scenario I'm in, you don't know how fit I am, you don't know what I'm doing. If I, if I now contextualize that data, which is what our system does, and say, actually, your heart rate is 120 beats per minute, you're lying down and you're not breathing, that then tells you that there's a problem because all those parameters don't stack up together. Well, the second type of actionable information and value that our data can provide is actually saying, if I'm taking these raw measures, what a lot of users want to know is what do these mean for him or her? So I don't really care what a, an ECG is in a particular example. What I care about is what is my stress level? So actually what we have to do is take certain parts of the ECG and heart rate and breathing rate, use uh, one of our proprietary algorithms to derive a stress index or derive a fitness index or derive the acceleration or speed or from our, our internal triaxis accelerometer. So all of those type of things, you know, you're, you're looking at all these different data sets. You're saying, what is the best way that we can derive value from the data that can actually mean something to our users? In the case of military training, for example, there's a number of different ways that they're looking at value from this data. They're looking at value from this data as saying, 
in their mind, contextualization is saying, I don't just want raw physiology data. What I want to do is take raw physiology data with environmental data, with terrain data, with location data, okay. with whatever exercise data they're doing, and actually put that all together and say, Soldier X performed better when he or she did a 20-mile ruck march for three days in a row, rather than when they did short sprints or short bursts, as an example. One of the strangest things is, in military training scenarios, is soldiers get lost. And when soldiers get lost, because they start panicking, because they don't know where they are, because of various reasons, they're more likely to undergo heat stress. So, So what we're able to do is we're able to track location so they won't get lost, but we're also tracking heat stress, and we're monitoring their core body temperature, we're monitoring their... Um, skin temperature and we're monitoring the effect of the terrain the environment and their their activities on their their temperature and how that is either increasing or decreasing or being regulated by the body it looks like you have made the human equivalent of the black box that they stick on an airplane yep um i said when i first came into the business and and that a lot of our customers say is that we know more about our instrumentation and our equipment than we do about us If you go to a car, you know exactly when it's time for a service, when the brakes are being worn down, when tyre pressure is going down. Why do we not know that about us? We we have more data and have more understanding about the performance of our instrumentation, our our equipment and our assets than we do about us as a human race. And that's really where companies like us have evolved from. We try to solve a problem where we see information about ourselves for ourselves is a very, very powerful tool. And that's what we're hoping that we can give to people, much more information and much more knowledge about how they're able to adapt in different environments. Jumping from 130,000 feet like Felix was, that's what we're all about, really. Very neat. Thank you, Anne Mole from Equivital. I watched the Felix jump, Roger, and I have to say it was really awe-inspiring. I can't believe he jumped 24 miles, reaching 834 miles per hour, and became the first person to break the sound barrier as he fell. Really yeah, cool. Hearing the figures is enough to make you cry, never mind watching it. It was amazing. But I also found a tearful story about a previous attempt in 1962. A Russian ascended in a balloon basket to make a similar high-altitude parachute jump. His colleague successfully completed the jump, but, and this is a Russian thing, so I can't say it, Chris, what is it? Pyotr Ivanovich Dolgov. He was testing this experimental pressure suit, and he jumped at 28 kilometers. The helmet visor of his pressure suit hit part of the balloon basket as he exited, and the suit depressurized. Yikes, that is very sad, but cheers to his bravery. Still, Roger, I'd love to go skydiving sometime. Would you like to come? I'm kind of not really wanting either of us to be doing that because stuff goes wrong. Just this week, I was putting up some lights on a huge tree in the garden and I knocked the ladder and I fell something like four metres. I mean, it was really frightening, but luckily I fell like a cat. And so I think I've done my bit of daring for this year and I've taken the ladder to the dump so I never do that sort of thing again. Crikey, I'm glad you're in one piece, Roger. But tell me, did you at least get your tree lights up? Well, I nearly got my lights out, but the things you do for Christmas. That's pretty much all for today's show. Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio, Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website www.cambridge105.fm. You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. 
Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Chris Crease. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. <laughs>